on to the Treasures Within podcast. I'm your host, Georgia G, success coach and multi-passionate creative. If your goal is to create a business and life from your passions, plural, this show is for you. Join me every week to learn the mindset shifts, business strategies and creative habits that empower you to fulfill your calling, master your mindset and blast through the limiting beliefs that keep you stuck and broke so you can build a thriving business from your passions and enjoy more freedom and abundance in your life. Remember, the world needs all your gifts, not just one. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Treasures Within podcast. Today, I'm here with a special guest, Sarah Hansford, the founder of Recreate Consulting, a consultancy business that helps sustainable fashion brands to thrive and exceed their customers' expectations. Sarah has worked in the fashion industry for 25 years, covering a variety of roles for small and big brands, including Max Spencer and QEC. She helped develop clothes and accessory ranges, pioneered new packaging concepts, and identified new opportunities for businesses to grow. When the pandemic hit, she decided to move more into a teaching and consulting role and share everything she learned about the retail business to help a client succeed. In this interview, Sarah and I talk about how she knew fashion was her calling, the massive shifts she had to make to succeed in business, sustainability in the fashion industry, and so much more. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Why don't you start telling our listeners a bit about you and how you came to do this work? So um, my background is fashion buying. I have been, was um, a fashion clothing and accessories buyer for about 25 years. And um, at the end of 2019, the company I was with um, had a restructure and there was an opportunity to take some redundancy, which I decided would be a good thing for me. Um, I had been thinking for a while about working for myself, doing something else and had always kind of had a leaning towards teaching and education. Um, That was really what was the word, sort of sparked more, I guess, by the last two or three years of my work as a buyer, I had been working quite closely with quite inexperienced team members and was given, um, given that sounds wrong, um, was asked to help to mentor and train um, someone who was coming into the business as a brand new graduate. And I really, really enjoyed doing that. And I remember being sat with her with someone else who was overseeing the training programme and I was explaining something and um, this head of training said, you really need to listen to Sarah. She's got so much experience. You're really lucky to have her. And that kind of stuck with me. And I thought, oh, I've done this for so long. Maybe I can actually use it to help other people. And people were always coming to me. Do you know this? Do you know that? And I think, yep, yeah, I know someone who can do that. I know a factory for this or I know how to work that I can help you. with." And so that's kind of where it came from and I think maybe fashion is very fast-paced it's quite stressful it's very cyclical I was at a point where I just needed something fresh and different yeah it's uh I mean those when people keep coming to us for the same mm. thing it really is a clue that there is something there that's actually our side as well with 
teaching people about business because people were coming to me for that. So yeah, was it like an easy transition for you? Did you have any doubts about going this direction? What was it like for you? Um, I did. I'd thought about it a lot and didn't quite have the courage to do it. Redundancy gave me that. Um, I had to do something. I was fortunate to have, obviously, with the redundancy, a bit of a financial cushion for a little while. So, and also I left, <laughs> I left, I was, found out I was being made redundant actually almost a year, exactly a year ago, two years ago, Valentine's Day um, 2020, which we all know was when things were just getting interesting with COVID. Um, there was talk about it, but people were starting to say, oh, there might be a lockdown or, you know, we might have to really think about things differently. So, you know, I finished that my last day in a full time job was the 31st of March 2020. And originally I thought oh, I'll have a few months off, but there was nothing else to do apart from just do this. Um, and actually, I think the pandemic helped because people were all at home. It wasn't as weird that I was just working from home, that I didn't have an office to invite them to. Um, businesses were thinking in different ways. A lot of fashion businesses had to either put people on furlough or make them redundant, but needed a little bit of help. People were doing things differently. So actually it was quite good timing for me. Um, so yeah, that kind of gave me the push really. And if you just, lucky I think you you kind of make your own luck I worked really hard um you know getting in touch with old contacts being really active on LinkedIn just thinking and doing lots and lots of different bits to kind of see what stuck and I was also really fortunate that I had been having conversations probably for two years on and off with the Fashion Retail Academy and um, so I now um, employed by them part-time so I do two days two and a half days a week teaching for them on the buying and merchandising diploma course which is great fun um, so I had been in conversation with them and they were starting a teacher training program which was really innovative for them they wanted people with industry you know, who were fresh still working in the industry so I was really fortunate that in around September, October 2020, I started on their teacher training program, Industry to Teaching, and we were in the second big lockdown, and it was such a lifesaver for me, it was brilliant, it was every Wednesday evening online, a group of 20 fashion business people who all had an interest in teaching, and we got together every Wednesday night and it gave me a real structure. It was really nice. And they are still, you know, we finished a year ago. We have a WhatsApp group. We keep in touch. We help each other out. Um, so that was a real turning point, I suppose, for me. And then just before I think the course finished in March, in February, the Fashion Retail Academy had a need for some teachers. So I started with them. So I actually started teaching about two weeks before I finished my course so yeah it was quite 2020 was quite a roller coaster but I got there <laughs> <laughs> and so it's especially 
hearing you say that you know you always took action you made the connection the power of community mm. so yeah that that is like there's it is this myth that you know like things are for some people they are easy they're really full from the sky but actually no you make your own luck so thank you for mentioning that and you yes. definitely do and I think if you're going to branch out by yourself um one thing you have to be comfortable with I suppose is putting yourself out there and promoting yourself because if you don't nobody else is going to people oh. aren't just going to come to you you have to go to them and I think I had a real lesson I, can, I spent eight, probably about a month getting my website perfect you know we were sat at home in lockdown it was it was good it filled my time and I launched it and literally two days later I had this amazing inquiry from a um, like investment company who had lots of fledgling businesses they were working with and wanted me to kind of consult and blah, blah blah and I was like oh my god that's amazing you know I've only been going three days and already this um and I was lucky I had some really good oh again contacts that I've known for years who were like anything you want to run past me you can spoke to a couple of them and they were like hmm have you really dug into this and when I did, I realised it wasn't quite above board and things they were asking for were not particularly ethical, not illegal, but just things I wasn't quite comfortable with. Um, so I think you have to be just, yeah. And that was someone who just came to me. And it's that old thing, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. So, yeah, I think you have to just be really comfortable with putting yourself out there and promoting yourself and if you're not this kind of career probably isn't for you have you always been comfortable with that or the something that you had to learn with time and if so how did you get there yeah I don't think I have um I can remember in my early career um in fashion there's a whole thing about raise your profile make sure people know what you're doing and I wasn't very good at that. I was too busy doing it and didn't really want to shout about it. I was like, well, I'm doing a good job. That will speak for itself. But actually, as I got older, I realized it, it doesn't. Unfortunately, you have to be seen by the right people in the right places. And it's a bit, it seems a bit underhand, I suppose. It's a bit, some people aren't comfortable with it. It doesn't feel organic and sort of nurturing and holistic, but it's, a truth um and I suppose as you get older you just get more confident you care less about what other people think um so I just ended up getting comfortable with it and seeing people actually one of the things that really pushed me was looking at some of my peers who were getting on and I was thinking but I'm better than them why why them and I actually because they talk about it more they, they tell everyone how brilliant they are. So I think that was the thing that pushed me. I kind of had, yeah, I had this realization you have to be your own best promoter and your own champion, don't you? If you don't, if you don't believe in you, no one else is going to do it. Well, absolutely. And that was the thing that is, that was very mature of you because it's so easy to think that, you know, when someone is getting ahead because they are more confident or because mm -hmm. they 
accountability and self out there is so easy to just be jealous and bring them down and just be behind their backs mm. but actually what you did was okay and you just looked at what they did and you just I mean you did the same thing that they did like you mm-hmm. you behaved in the in, in the, the way that they will get those results and of course yeah. in, in an ethical way of course yeah exactly that and I did work with I have a really good I keep talking about contacts an old industry friend she was my um, brand director must be 15 years ago now who had a kind of similar journey she actually spent some time in Australia and decided she wanted to be a business coach and a personal coach um lady called can I mention her name of course a fabulous lady her name's Julia Darlington she's brilliant and I had a few sessions with her um that really sort of helped me she made me literally write down like what I offer and how much is it worth in money and that was really powerful and it also helped me with I think another thing a lot of us and maybe it's a female thing and what you think we're a little bit uncomfortable with talking about money and saying I want this much per day or if you want me to do this you have to pay me that and she kind of really helped me get over that hurdle as well. Yeah, I definitely see that a lot with my clients as well. That we want, we women really want to help and serve everyone. Mm. And we are afraid that if we charge too much, they will become inaccessible and can't help people. But then it yeah. really stops us from taking care of ourselves, from building yeah. a business that is sustainable, from you know, putting food on the table, taking care of our families. So that definitely is a big piece. Um, yeah, and I think, and again, if you if I don't value me, then why would why should anybody else? And one of the things I definitely, you were talking about what did you learn from and maybe what did not fail exactly, but in the early days, um, I had a lot of people wanting to talk to me and... I was so keen to prove what I could do that you know I would do like an hour's free consultation, but then I would end up giving too much information and too much help in that free hour. And the people were like, great, I don't need to pay her. I've got what I needed. Brilliant. And off they'd go. Um, so I definitely learned not to not to give it all away too quickly. <laughs> Yes, I have made the same mistake as well in the early days. And yeah, you okay, you are eager to help, but then what happens is that you know, yeah, you've given them some information, but they don't have the old picture. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it seems like you're doing a nice thing, giving the information for free, but then they start to get at some point they get stuck because they don't know all the steps, right? Yeah. And, so, and so in the end you're kind of sabotaging them in a way so it yes, is actually, yeah, you're right yeah it's actually much kinder to just have a conversation where you discuss if it, if it is a good fit to work together mm-hmm. and yeah. sign up have like a money exchange and then give them all the help they need until yeah, they accomplish absolutely. what they want I think you're right and that whole thing about being a good fit is really interesting and it's something again I was really keen to keep as part as a ethos for me that and sometimes obviously we all need to like you said put food on the table sometimes we need to take work that isn't ideal but I have always sought out people who work in an ethical and sustainable way and interestingly they've it's almost kind of happened by osmosis I think we we attract like-minded people don't we and the people who aren't ethical and aren't going to 
pay on time or be respectful and all the things that I value tend to disappear pretty quickly. Um, I'll give you one really good example. I don't know if you know Erica Davis, she's a fabulous influencer. She's brilliant. She's my kind of age in her forties. She was in a former fashion editor and she really champions small businesses. And I really admire that in her. And she had posted something on Instagram about this fabulous, sustainable um, Christmas tree. And I really liked it. And I thought, I'll share that. You know, that's exciting. And because I shared it, the owner of the company saw it, contacted me and said, oh, I see you liked what we're doing. And um, why don't we have a conversation? And that was not the Chris Christmas 2020. And I'm still working for him. Wow. So it was a kind of chain of people just doing things to be nice and because they appreciated the creativity and trying to support a small business. And that's led to an ongoing working relationship. So I think in ways like that, like-minded people somehow find <laughs> each other. Oh, absolutely. And I know that you are working with clients particularly who are uh, operating in a sustainable mm. way. So yeah. personally, I, I am not very much a fashion lover and I love to buy new clothes, but also mm. I'm very conscious of sustainability. And yeah. so how do you know, how can you tell when a brand is really sustainable? Because you have brands like H&M that have these mm -hmm. conscious collections and so and especially that's sustainable, but they really aren't out of there because they sell too many pieces. Still. So yeah. How do you know when a brand or a company is really sustainable? It's really hard. And I don't, I th I'm, for me, because I'm on the inside, I can tell. Um, but as a consumer, I think it's really, really, really difficult. There's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of, oh, it's this, it's that. Well, what does that mean? Um, one of the things I would say, always look on the brand's website and see what they're talking about sustainability. If they're just waffling, if they're just saying all of our product is sustainably produced. Okay, what does that actually mean? If they've got real goals and real tangible targets like 100% organic cotton by a certain date or 50% um, of our polyester is recycled, recyclable, really tangible things um the other thing though i think is it isn't easy it really isn't it's a huge piece of work and you know one example without being too technical if we look at cotton and um, we a lot of people know cotton is a it's natural it's lovely we all think of it as really quite friendly but actually cotton production is really environmentally damaging um it uses a lot of pesticides and it uses a lot of water So then we're like, great, organic cotton. But organic cotton actually uses more water than standard cotton. So maybe recycled cotton is a better option. So there are a lot of you know, big, complex issues. And retailers, I think, are really trying. Um, but there is that whole, like you said, the customer, does a customer want to pay that much more? Sometimes they don't want to. Sometimes they can't afford to. So my, the thing I would say to everyone to do is even if it doesn't feel perfect, support what the brands are doing. Because if a brand sees, oh, the things that I'm calling recycled, blah, 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 are a 
appealing to my customer, they will do more. If they're seeing the efforts that they're making pay off, they will go to the next step and the next step and the next step. If you, as a consumer, for me, say, oh, do you know what? Actually, it's not 100% sustainable and not doing it. Well, that business thinks that then the customers don't want anything sustainable, so they won't take it forward. So I yeah. think we're, you know, it's almost like I have, I've always had animals training dogs or training horses. You have to reward the little bits of good behavior to get the big bits or with a child. Um, oh, that drawing's really, really good. Can you do a bit more? Can you make, can you color it in now? It's slightly that mentality for me at the moment. There are brands that I avoid. I'm, I won't name and shame, but if you can't find a sustainability policy, that tells you something. If it's incredibly cheap, think about it. You know, if you're paying five pounds for something, the, that brand has probably paid two pounds. If it was two pounds from the factory, it's probably cost them one pound twenty. How much are they paying those workers? Where are those materials coming from? If it's that cheap, that would be another thing I think just to keep in mind. I mean, the other part of it for me is buy less. How much do you really need? And make sure that when you have it, you wear it, you use it. And it's something that you are going to get a lot of use out of. It's a summer t-shirt, but you can wear it as an extra layer under something else in the winter. Once it's faded, and can you dye it? Washing The dylon washing machine dyes are amazing. They are quite environmentally friendly. And I had a lot of white t-shirts that had just got a bit bleh. So I tie-dyed them in the washing machine. It cost me about, I don't know, five pounds. And I had some fab new things. I so didn't really my favorite that. one is, yeah, it's fab. It's really fun. Um, if I get a hole in my sock, I keep them. And you can, socks are great for dusting. You put them over your hand and you can just sort of wipe and clean with them. So it's trying to buy as little as you can, make it last as long as you can. And then when you finish with it, try to do something else with it, um, donate it, repurpose it, be crafty with it if you want to, cut things up and make them into patchwork or you know, cut them into squares and give them to a local school or just try to keep it out of waste for as long as you can. Well, I, I love the suggestions and there were like a few that frankly, I didn't even know you could do nothing. That's part of the issue. So it has become so easy to just mm. buy something once it breaks or doesn't fit. You just, you just yeah. instead of just repairing it, which it truly is a, a sustainable option in the yeah, end. Yeah, learn to sew. It's I mean it's quite fun. I mean, I'm not great, but I do repair things. If you can alter things, you know, I have trousers, for example, and then I'm a bit fed, they've got a bit tatty. I make them into a crop or jeans make them into shorts so there are things you can do to give things you know longer life and wear them in a more versatile way definitely um i had another thing to say but it's completely disappeared <laughs> from my head about what else you can do no oh yes i've remembered the other thing that i think is really interesting and is part of the social media culture is the whole returns thing um, and a lot of people, you know, will order from certain fast fashion brands because the returns are free. I'm just going to order 20. It's fine. I'll try them all on and I'll probably send back 15. 
and or I'll just take a picture from my Instagram and then I'll send it back. And I don't think we realize the damage that that's doing in terms of carbon footprint. It's the cost, the carbon cost to deliver it, the packaging. Once it goes back to that business, it's got to be checked, cleaned, pressed, steamed, repackaged, relabeled, sent out again. So some garments are probably going in and out of warehouses four or five times for no real, and every time there's a new plastic bag, there's a new ticket, there's another journey on a truck. And some of the very low priced brands, it costs them so much to repurpose things that they will just throw them away. It's cheaper to throw it away than to repackage it and put it back into stock. It's really terrible. I did not know that. I just thought that if I've done something, it would just get sold to someone else. Yeah, if, I mean, sometimes, but not but even, always. As you explained, even when it's sold to someone else, it seems to be quite a process of, mm-hmm. in terms of plastic, in terms of print, in terms of like cleaning the garments. So it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I think when I receive something, if someone else has tried it on, I would hope that it had been cleaned. And of course, particularly, you know, in the COVID situation. So it's one to think about. I think that's another thing we can all do just to make that small difference. Yes, and I just want to mention that, you know, it can be daunting, especially if you're someone who loves fast fashion to just mm. make all these changes. Mm. So even if you just pick one thing out of everything that you said, that is already a step yeah, in that direction. If everyone just did one thing, it would already yeah. make a big impact. A huge impact. Yeah. And just, you know, try to, it is daunting, but you can educate yourself. There are some really good people i'm trying to think of some of them um but if you just you know search hashtag sustainable fashion follow some people on instagram there are some quite easy tips you will be in the fashion industry for a very very long time yes so <laughs> in terms of sustainability what changes have you seen um a lot most of it i think now is around fabric and sourcing so making sure that the fabrics we're using are not only recycled but recyclable um i will give a shout out to one big retailer who i think are doing good stuff and a lot of people might think they're not would be primark um they were they're working a lot on what we call circularity to make sure that the garments can be recycled so things like jeans, if they've got some stretch in them, it's a different fibre, it's elastane, so it's really hard to recycle. The metal rivets make it hard to recycle. So they were, they're working really hard on making sure their garments are recyclable, which I think is really exciting. Um, and a lot of brands are doing that. It, uh, most of what's happening at the moment is around fabric sourcing and getting better fibres that are less harmful to produce and easier to recycle. Um, so I've seen a lot of change there and a lot of brands are much more ethical around workers and people in the factories, how much they're being paid, the conditions. There was a lot of publicity in the summer in 2020 around um, some UK manufacturers, maybe not adhering to the regulations in the ways that they should have done. And some of the brands involved have made some really good steps towards changing that. 
and they're being a lot more transparent as well a lot more open about where things come from who they're working with where they're sourcing it from so it, things are moving in the right direction but yeah like you said it is so big that sometimes it can be quite daunting and brands don't know where to start yeah absolutely so when you're in working with sustainable brands what are the main challenges that you see the experience yeah um cost you know it is more expensive and not every component is a lot more expensive but when you put it all together it can add quite a lot onto the selling price of a product and particularly if you're a new brand and and you want new customers it's quite hard then to get the customer to understand that it's actually much easier to start sustainable because that's where you set your benchmark to move from say standard cotton to organic cotton there is a big cost involved and I think the challenge for a lot of brands businesses is understanding when the customer is ready for that Um, because yes they absorb some of it but you know they have to make money to pay their workers and pay the factories a good price and look after their teams so there is that I think is one of the really big challenges I also want to uh, ask because we, we talk about fashion a lot obviously that's your industry mm. that's where you built your career and did you've had different roles in the fashion industry over the over the past few mm. years mm-hmm. and but did you know like how did you know that fashion was your core and that's the thing that you are meant to do gosh I always knew I think <laughs> um I remember when I was about 10 I had this toy that was like it was called a fashion designer and you had these sort of little drawings that you could copy and create outfits and I always you know I remember being about 14 and a friend of my mum's had an L magazine and I was like oh this is just amazing and I would my friends were buying you know like kids magazines and I would save my pocket money to buy Vogue and then I did, yeah I just always knew so when I I did a history of art degree I was really just interested in everything visual and creative and at the same time I had a part-time job um in Laura Ashley and I was really I remember a new stock would come in and I used to think who decided that we're going to do that dress in pink and blue and green and then I had a friend who was a trainee merchandiser at Marks and Spencer and speaking to him I was like oh my god that sounds amazing being a buyer I get to decide what goes into shops that sounds like a fantastic job so I finished my degree and then applied and was really lucky to get a place on the graduate scheme with Marks and Spencer as a trainee they were called selectors in those days um, as a trainee buyer so yeah that I just knew that I was fascinated by it and I wanted to be like in the thick of it. Oh, that, that is amazing that you had this calling from a very young age. Mm. And obviously, again, you did so many roles in the fashion industry. And was it hard to find the right role or did you just enjoy every step of the way? Um, that's a good question. I think I enjoyed different aspects of all of them. I mean, I've worked in tiny businesses and I've worked in huge multi you know, global businesses. And there are definitely pros and cons to both. 
um, small businesses I love because you can be really creative. You've got a tight knit team. I would have an idea and the MD sits next to me. So I can just say, oh, what do you think of this? He's like, yeah, do it. Brilliant. Um, so that was really exciting. And you really can shape and drive the future. But you have, there's no support. There's no, you, do, you are everything. In a big company, it's someone else's job to do the marketing, the press, the technology, the legal, the photography. Um, if your chair's broken, there's a person you can phone to fix it. If your computer's not well, all of those, it's just everything is somebody's job. Um, which is quite comforting, I suppose, in a way. You've got that big support structure. So they all had their pros and cons. I think for me, one of my favourite brands to work for, um, can I say? I'm sure I can. Of course. Of course. Um, was the White Company because they were, I worked for them quite a long time ago. They were sort of medium sized then. You know, they were doing really well, but they were still quite small. The owner was still in the office every day. She came to our meetings. But what I loved about them, and I still think it's really important for any fashion business, is they had a really clear vision of who their customer was and what was right for them or not right for them. And as a buyer, if you can instantly say, that's a white company product, that isn't, it makes your job so much easier. And everybody from the buyers to the marketing teams to the photographers to the technologists to the people who produced the catalog everyone knew we all had that same vision so it took out a lot of the I like it I don't sort of discussions we were just all really clear and that I really enjoyed that was probably one of my favorite brands to work for I also worked for a lovely brand um, and part of my salary was a monthly massage I mean doesn't get any that, right? <laughs> yeah. I only have yeah, a spa, a spa clothing company um, who had a, a spa in one of the stores. So we used wow. to go and get lovely treatment. So that was a nice one. <laughs> yes, definitely is. And you also mentioned the difference between working in a big company as opposed to just mm. a small company or even being like your your a solopreneur. So I imagine that now that you have your own business, there are so many things mm-hmm. and many projects that you could be working on at any given time. So yeah. how do you decide which one to focus on in any moment, really? Mm. I mean, I try to plan out my week and think, right, this day is this. I have a list of what needs doing. And I think about what needs doing, what's most important. Um, you do have to have, you know, a commercial head a buyer I think buying always teaches you focus on the things that are going to bring the most reward so if I spend an hour on this I might make I'll make up the numbers this is a thousand pounds if I spend an hour on this it's ten thousand I'm going to do the ten thousand first um so that um and just what is you know what's most urgent what can wait I've, I work a lot with India and China, so I know I have to deal with that in the mornings because they'll be gone, they've gone home by lunchtime. And then my afternoons tend to be quieter so I can do more of my admin stuff or things that are more around my clients in the UK. It just sort of happens. I think buying is so much about balancing a lot of things, particularly um, a lot of my background is accessories and you're always dealing with lots of different things. So I'm kind of used to that multitasking 
thing. I guess I'm lucky in that my teaching is very specific. It's two days every week, Thursday and Friday. So I know that's what's going to be happening then. Um, and it's very, you know, I know I could tell you what I'm going to be teaching in three months time. So that kind of helps me. I know the bits that are easy that need less preparation, the bits that I need to spend more time on, students who need a bit more time. So that kind of gives me a bit of a framework and then I build everything else around that. But there's always surprises. There's always those days when you think, oh, it's quite quiet this afternoon. I can spend some time catching up with my invoicing or whatever. And then someone calls you and, can you do this for me now? So that that is, I think, the challenge of being just me. Yeah, definitely you need a structured flexibility mm. because it is good to have the structure of knowing every day what you're going to do, but also allowing that, again, for emergencies or unforeseen circumstances because there's always going to be yeah. something in life that takes yeah, you by surprise. You're right, definitely. And also that's why it's so important to have like a good solid mindset. So... Talking about mindset, in the last three years, what habit or belief has improved your life the most? Oh, gosh. Um, a few things. Definitely during lockdown, walking, going out, making sure I leave. Because you, when you're on, you, you can just get yourself really like buried and not leave your desk and your computer. Um, making sure I go outside and walk and move every day. And actually, there's quite a lot of scientific research around the movement of walking how it can stimulate thoughts and I often find that as I'm not working I will go for a walk and all these ideas come to me so I take my phone and I make myself voice notes and often something that I've been thinking about sitting at my desk that I can't quite get to grips with if I go out and walk I will solve it so that I found really helpful um learning to say no would probably be another thing and no I can't do this for you today I can do it next week but no I can't work till 10 o'clock tonight to do that for you um and sw you know, switching off at a certain time closing my laptop putting it away because again when you I'm sure you know when you work for yourself at home you could I could work for 24 hours every day if I wanted to absolutely <laughs> so you know just having saying no and I as well I kind of have some obviously some bits of it I just must do that are a bit tedious other things really inspire me and are really exciting so I kind of use those as rewards and think right if you get all of that done if you do that boring spreadsheet then this afternoon you can do that that really exciting creative trend board so I make myself do the boring stuff first <laughs> And that, that is a very, very good thing because you need something to motivate you for the mm -hmm. things that are boring and mundane at every job, no matter how much you love it as some yep. task that is just boring and you just don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, my, my Julia, who I mentioned earlier, she gave me a really good tip and she calls it eat the frog. I think there was some psychologist who came up with it, um, but it's a concept of if you have to eat a frog, that's not very nice. But whether you eat it now or whether you eat it tomorrow or in a week's time, it's still going to be revolting. So you may as well just eat it now and have it done than spend a week worrying about eating it. And then it's still going to be horrible. 
So I, yeah, that's my, if there's something I don't want to do, I think just eat the frog, do it. You'll feel so much better when it's done. You can move on. And I use it with my students a lot as well about certain bits of their assignments that they're not, I don't really want to do the boring bits. So I'm like, right, come on, let's all eat our frogs today. And it, yeah, it's quite a, it's a useful one. Eat the frog. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> and yeah, it's, I definitely know that there, there have been things that I postponed for a long mm -hmm. time and it was pretty so much anxiety in me. Yeah, exactly. But then once I finally got through, I was like, okay, that wasn't so bad. Okay, it was it was boring, but it was not. And then that yeah. anxiety that I built up for the past two weeks, that was actually much worse. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're right. Just just do it. So this is a question that I ask everyone on the show. Mm -hmm. what's one way that mother passionates can start building a business and life around their passions um gosh I think really understanding what it is about the passion that makes it a passion if that makes any sense um what is it that you get from it and how you can how can you turn that into a career a job and um, my other thing I think is People, contacts is so important. Contact, contacts, contacts, contacts. Um, you know, the work I'm doing now has nearly all come via people I knew in a previous life. So you know, I've mentioned I work with a sustainable manufacturer in India. They actually contacted me on LinkedIn because there were three guys who were partners in the business. One of them I'd worked with about 10 years ago. He saw on LinkedIn that I was doing my own thing and got in touch with me. Um, another really exciting project is with someone who I've worked with three or four times in my career and we've stayed in touch. People put you in another, in every people put you in touch with people. You never know who knows who. I went to a trade show last week and saw two people who I've known. One is a fairly recent contact, one's quite an old contact who I knew for one reason, who actually wants something else that I can help them with. So I think it's all thinking about if you are doing multi things, how do they all feed into each other? And for me, they all kind of inform and help each other. Yeah, absolutely. That's the superpower that the passionates have to see the correlations. And mm. I always believe that if you love multiple things, there is always a link there. Yeah. So that is definitely yeah, a absolutely. great tip. Is there anything else that you would like to mention before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. I think I would just say if, you know, to anyone who maybe has been in a career for a long time and wants to do something else, it is possible. You have to take a big bravery pill, but there are ways and, I think the other thing I would say is if it doesn't end up how you thought, that's fine, because it probably won't. When I look at what I thought I would be doing versus what I am doing, it's quite different. But that's probably a good thing. So what do you think you will be doing? And how is, in, in this what you're doing now, better than what you thought? Um, yeah, I thought I would work just probably with different people I thought I would work more with retailers um, and do quite structured contracts and maybe like structured training programs 
uh, what I've ended up doing is working more with the supply side manufacturers production, which I actually love. I find that whole creating stuff really exciting. Um, and being, it's more ongoing and I do a day a week rather than three months for this person and then two months for that person and then a one week project for this person. It's become a bit more sort of multiple, I suppose. And, but that's good. It's, it, it, it's never boring, put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I think once you start exploring your your passion and starting your mm. business, then you really can find the, the right combination. And yeah. often it's like it's not something that you can think from scratch at the beginning. You just find it by doing, and it ends up yeah. being even better than what you thought you would be doing. Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone that wants to know more about you and even work with you, where can they find you? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn, just Sarah Hansford. Um, they can find me on Instagram. I am at Recreate Consulting, all one word. Um, so the, yeah, and my website is um, re-createconsulting.com. And of course, we're going to put the link to social media and your website and everything we mentioned. They should be below. So for people there, able to check them out, that they know where to find it. So thank you so much for being here. Absolute yourself. pleasure. I enjoy our position so much. And... Oh, no, me too. It's gone so quickly. <laughs> yes, it is. Thanks so much. And anyone who's listening, I hope that you enjoy this conversation as well. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? If you enjoyed it, Please share it with a friend, subscribe, and review this podcast. Every little bit helps this podcast get found by adult passionates who need to hear this message too. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you so much, and I can't wait to talk with you again next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and remember, the world needs all of your gifts, not just one. Bye for now. Georgia here. I want to take a quick moment to tell you something. A few years ago, I was stuck in what I call strategy hell. I was literally doing everything to grow my business. I was on all the social media platforms, doing webinars, going to networking events, writing blog posts, sending out newsletters, you name it, I did it. And my business was growing at the snail space. It was so frustrating because I couldn't have worked any harder. I was already overwhelmed and burned out. Do you ever feel like that? It wasn't until a random encounter with a coach that I realized being in strategy hell is a form of self-sabotage. You think you're doing everything to grow your business. In reality, you're stuck in busy work because you're afraid of what might happen if you went all in or reached your goals. In my case, I had a massive fear that if I became more successful than my family, my friends, and my partner, they would love me anymore and they leave me. This fear was buried so deep in my subconscious that I wasn't aware of it until I had a powerful session with my coach. 
And yet, the fear was running my business and making sure I'd never reached my goal. It was only once I healed the fear that I was able to double my income in a few short months. And my loved one didn't leave me. If you two are working hard, trying all these strategies to go to the next level in your business, you don't need one more strategy. You already have all the strategies you need. If nothing is working, it's because there's a limiting belief that's sabotaging all your efforts. Maybe like me, you're afraid that if you are too successful, you won't fit in with your friends and family anymore and you lose them. Maybe you don't think you are good enough at what you do and they're afraid that if you put yourself out there in a big way, you'll be exposed as a fraud. Or maybe, deep down, you don't believe you're worthy of money and success. Whatever it is, trying to grow a business with these limiting beliefs running in your subconscious is like driving a car with a brake on. No matter how hard you try, you are going to stay stuck where you are. If you want to go to the next level in your business and reach those big income and business goals that have eluded you up until now, you must first heal all those limiting beliefs and all stories that are sabotaging you. Once those self-imposed limitations melt away, you'll be able to step out of strategy hell and confidently take action towards your goals. Those tasks that used to feel hard or scary, like going live on Instagram, doing sales calls, or being a regular guest on podcasts, will now feel easy and fun and you'll be able to reach your goals with ease. If you know, deep down, that healing those limiting beliefs and old stories is the missing piece in getting the results and money you want in your business and you are ready to drop the hustle and step into your six figures mindset, I invite you to book a discovery call with me. On the call, you get coaching on the number one limiting belief, the sabotaging your success and keeping you from reaching your next income level. And if we both feel it's a fit, you'll discover how we can work together to heal the limiting beliefs that are sabotaging you, so you can finally build a wildly profitable business from your passions and enjoy financial allocation and time freedom. Remember, the world needs all of your treasures. It's your time to get out of your own way so you can do the work you are meant to do in the world and live a life of freedom on your own terms. These one-on-one calls are limited, so if you are ready to finally make your vision board become your reality, click on the link in the show notes and book in today.